Hi there, my name is Yaffa Sakaja and I'm the CEO of Beneplan. And today I wanted to tell you our origin story. I wanted to tell you how Beneplan was founded in 1989, how we were created from nothing, how we grew into what we are today. And it's a really personal story for me because it's actually my father who started the business in 1989. Um, so he came to Canada as an immigrant, actually as a refugee, and he had tried a lot of different jobs and different businesses. He was trained as, a, as an engineer, so he was good at math, but just couldn't find an engineering job in Canada, and this is the 70s. <laughs> so in the 80s, one of his friends uh, said, why don't you try selling annuities? And back then in the 80s, the interest rates were so high that annuity sales were definitely a very strong way to earn income. Um, so the concept of an annuity is that you would talk to somebody who's maybe coming to retirement that has a lump sum of savings and they're fearful of outliving their savings or maybe inflation would um, surpass their ability to save and their ability to grow their funds themselves. So what he would do is just simply call the Yellow Pages, try to find lists of people that were coming to retirement and say, hey, do you want to buy an annuity? And the insurance company is going to give you a guaranteed lump sum every month or every year for the rest of your life. And so that's how he started. And that he started that in the 80s. And then throughout the 80s, um, you know, it was very, very lucrative. And so I think if you're listening to this and you're wondering if you should go into financial services sales, it was lucrative, but keep in mind that interest rates were really high back then. Um, now I'm recording this 2023, so interest rates are starting to come back up after a really historically low period. So I don't know, something to think about. Um, anyway, so then in the uh, early, late 80s, early 90s, interest rates started to fall. And so because they fell, it really destroyed the opportunities. And he suddenly didn't have a great value prop anymore because people were not able to get that great return uh, from the annuities anymore. So he switched into pensions. And why did he switch into pensions? Well, uh, you know, annuities caused him to meet a lot of people and companies that were coming upon retirement. So he en ended up entering the retirement market. At that point, there was a lot of different regulation in the pension market happening. Um, you have to remember in North America, like NAFTA was signed in the 90s in the United States, and so a lot of manufacturing was being outsourced overseas. And so there's a lot of demand, sadly, for companies or factories in Canada where we're located to close their plant, outsource everything to another country that had less expensive labor, um, and then something to do with the pension plan. So before, there were a lot of these like lovely defined benefit pension plans that were sort of like a bygone of the good old days past where people would get a guaranteed amount of money every month in retirement. Um, and then there was something that had to be done with that money. So he would calculate all of the requirements. Um, and so he spent a lot of time actually union side. So he worked for unions and for employee groups trying to maximize the amount of money that the employer would be releasing to the workers in Canada that were being laid off. Um, in many cases, he got people double what the company had calculated just because he was interpreting the law. So interpreting fine print and reading at the intersection of understanding math, that made him really successful at what he did. So I guess big side note is, you know, whenever I talk to insurance brokers or I guess anybody in the benefits space, um, 
you know, step one is read contracts in and out, like read the Income Tax Act. It's, I know it sounds ridiculous for some people, but that's how he started his career. And that's how he earned trust as somebody who was new to Canada, who didn't necessarily look the way that somebody's supposed to look. Um, and he was a bit of an underdog in that sense. So also being comfortable with math and not being scared of doing math is really, really important. So he already had that concept of like, okay, we need to help the underdog. We need to maximize money. We need to take kind of like Robin Hood mentality, not robbing from the rich, but to, you know, using legal ways to ask wealthier <laughs> institutions to give back to those who were less uh, fortunate. But then in the meantime, he did earn commission by placing um, people or products or connecting them with financial services companies like insurance companies to process whatever they needed to process. So if that means that he helped the union uncover more money, you know, he would do that out for free or for contingency, hoping that a lot of the union members would hire him as a financial advisor. So this happened. And then all along the way, as he was helping companies with their pension liability, um, a lot of them said, hey, can, do you know anything about benefits? I got this awful renewal. I can't figure it out. I don't know why the insurance company keeps increasing premiums by like 30% every year. And I, I don't understand it. And so for him, he was like, oh yeah, that's easy. This is so simple because the math for nuclear engineering, which he was trained in, was a lot more complex than uh, pension math. And pension math was actually a lot more complex than benefits math. So for him, he was like, I don't understand why this is difficult. I'm sorry to say this, like it sounds a little bit pompous, but he thought, okay, let me, I don't know anything about it, but let me take a look at it and see if I can understand it the way you're trying to understand it. So this is before he started thinking about becoming a benefits salesperson. He was just trying to help people figure things out. And in doing so, he was like, huh, statistically, most of the time, the claims are a lot less than the premiums. And also, most of the time, the insurance company increases the premiums. And so these are two statements that are not logical. They don't make sense. Um, and so you, you kind of do the math and you run the statistics over several years. You start to see a pattern and you start to realize, like, I think there's a ton of money on the table for the insurance company. And I think there's almost like a gross injustice taking place because these small businesses would be charged like double what the claims would be. Um, and it's kind of like, well, why? And so, okay, this is like before Y2K. This is before the year 2000. I was, <laughs> I was a younger person than I am today. And I used to shadow him in the office because at this point, uh, was uh, coming with him on Saturdays. Like my mom was a stay-at-home mom and she would just say on Saturdays, okay, the kids are yours. You have to take them with you. So he would take my sister and I to the office, downtown Toronto, and we'd like sit there in the office on Saturdays. We'd draw, we'd use this new thing called a like desktop computer. Um, there was, I don't know if we had basically very basic internet back then. We would play with the fax machine. Like we would play with the staplers get in trouble but anyway so he was working in this benefits business mostly to try to help people understand their renewals it was that simple and so sometimes people said well hey i trust you mark um you seem to really know what you're talking about and he was like i don't i just know how to ask questions and i know a lot about math and i also have experience in the fact that if you ask a large intimidating party like an insurance company or a big corporation or a bank uh, 
for something more than they're offering you, the worst that's going to happen is they're going to say no. Um, also, he came here as a refugee, so he's kind of like, well, there's no war. No one's trying to kill me. Like, my girls are safe. I don't know what's the worst that can happen. Like, I end up washing dishes again. I already did that, and it was okay. We had a baby. Like, it was fine. So, so he had a lot of that mentality of, like, what is the worst that's going to happen? So um, two things were happening at the same time in 1999. One, one of his clients said to him, hey, you know, if you're doing this negotiating every year, but how many clients do you have? And back then he had like 10 benefits clients. He was like, I don't know, I mean, yeah, 10. And 10, they're like small, medium businesses. And they, she said, well, doesn't it make more sense for us to negotiate as a group together? And it was such a simple concept, but he said, oh, yeah, of course. Why don't I think of that? The second thing that happened is he realized really like he started with dental. He thought, well, with dentistry in Canada, you're not, it's not actually insurance. Um, real health insurance, like if you look at the United States or other places like that have private health insurance, there is this concept of high severity, low frequency, <clears throat> high financial devastation for the claims that you're trying to outsource. So the risk in dental is the opposite. You have high frequency, low severity, relatively lower amounts of money. Because if you look at like a dental claim is $100 in proportion to a hospital claim, which is $100,000, like, you know, you're not really going to go bankrupt if you don't have that risk covered. So he thought, you know, why are people not self-insuring their dental benefits? Like he was a mathematician. He was so comfortable with this. He was 100% sure that every single person should self-insure uh, dental. And at that point, ASO or administrative services only in 1999 was really not available to small and medium businesses. It was available to large businesses, but not smaller ones. So he went out for, for lunch one day with one of his insurance reps at a large insurance company who shall remain nameless. And he said, you know, why don't you guys let us self-insure the dental benefit? And they were like, yeah, no, we're not going to do that. These companies are too small and it's not profitable enough for us. So he was like, okay, well... I'll go back and tell this client what I found out. So now he's talking to a different client, a trucking company. And this trucking company had a controller who was really, really also very comfortable with math. Like you're talking savant level math. And so both of these guys together in a room that are um, willing to take risk and comfortable with maths, the controller of the trucking company said, then you know what, I'm just gonna cancel the plan and uh, I'm just gonna like self-insure it myself in house. Um, and my father's business partner, Vince Principato, who is our president today at Beneplan, was in the room. <laughs> so he remembers that being the absolute first catalyst to our unique value proposition because today, Beneplan's value proposition is, well, hey, if you're paying premiums and the claims are not all spent, or sorry, the money does not go towards claims, fees, taxes, reserves, then there's money on the table and that surplus belongs to you, AKA the customer or the employer. So back then the company said, yeah, that's it. I'm just going to self-insure the dental. Like I'll just pay people's claims in house. And that's when this lightning bolt hit them because they didn't want to lose the business. And they said, well, what if we process the claims for you? So that was a blessing and a curse. That sentence. Why don't we process the claims for you? Because no one else is willing to do that. So I'm going to zoom out 50,000 feet right now. The reason why I say that was a blessing and a curse is because it was a blessing because it got Beneplan into the TPA business, It got, which is very, very valuable. It also got Beneplan into the um, 
ability to provide self-insurance to small and medium companies that could not receive that from large insurance companies, therefore saving them enormous amounts of money. Like we're talking tens, hundreds of thousands of dollars for small and medium sized businesses. But the curse was that, you know, paying claims is such a beast of a job. It is a huge, monstrous project that um, I say, I think if you fast forward like five years, they got out of the dental claims business, but it gave them that understanding of, hey, actually, it's not that scary. Like if an insurance company says, no, we're not doing something, and you say, well, okay, if you're not gonna do it, we'll just do it in ourselves in-house. Like as long as it's legal and your client is fully aware of it, that's what gave them the confidence to say, there's actually no limit to the possibilities of what an insurance broker or a benefits broker can do to drive value back to their customers. So um, we're now in the early 2000s, they started doing this, and then some insur- some clients said, hey, I guess dental is on refund and I love it. I love that it's self-insured, this is great. Can we do something with health? And at that point, that's when my father, Mark, paused a little bit. He said, oh, well, health is a little bit more risky. People get sick, people have cancer, they go on disability. Is that really something that you wanna self-insure? Probably not for small and medium-sized businesses. But then he, he, again, his math brain kicked into gear and he thought, well, let's look at the statistics again. And he did see that nine out of 10 times or eight out of 10 times companies end the year in surplus on the health side. The other one or two out of 10 times, they end up in deficit. So he thought, okay, what if we create a pool, like a buying group whereby everybody here agrees? It's almost like, because you know they literally started with 10 clients, like actually 10 customers, which again came from him calling the yellow pages in the late 70s, early 80s. So like anything is possible in this world, okay? So uh, so these 10 customers, he said, well, if you all meet each other, and they all they literally all went for lunch. They all went for lunch at this um, hotel near the airport in Toronto. And he said, look, if you guys can look into each other's eyes, you're all Canadian companies trying to save money. You're all getting hit really, really hard from outsourcing. Do you all want to handshake and try this whereby you all forfeit, like you create this new corporation, corporation that you, the clients own, we, Better Plan, don't own. We're the management company and it's up to you. So do you guys all agree to build a company together? That's, we call it the cooperative today, but back then it was, we called it a multi-employer trust because that was the vehicle that was widely available for benefits um, innovation back then. Also, he, remember he came from the pension and union world where there's a lot of multi-employer trusts, so that's the vehicle that they used. He said, look, if, you, if you're in surplus, you've got to forfeit that surplus to that trust. If you're in deficit, don't worry about it. We're not going to ask you to pay the deficit. The trust will pay the deficit. And so, yeah, I mean, these 10 people looked at each other and they said, yeah, let's, I think we should try it. Like, let's try it. What's the worst that's going to happen? Mm, I don't know, a little bit of, a little bit of deficit and... You know, it's it's absolutely incredible what entrepreneurs can do when you put your mind to something. And also, I think the other gift that you have, if you're listening to this and you're a benefits broker or you want to become a benefits broker, you do have a gift. Your gift is bringing people together. Like a lot of people beat up on intermediaries. They think intermediaries are like useless and the word, the phrase middleman has a really bad connotation. But you know, you've got that gift of the ability to tell stories and bring people together and get strangers to trust other strangers. 
Um, that's a, such a powerful gift and look what it catalyzed. That was another huge blessing for our business because in the very first year, <laughs> there were 12 companies that participated. I remember very vividly um, looking at the results and thinking, oh my God, this is like, is this real? So 12 companies all shared in a $60,000 surplus. So these 12 companies together, the global surplus was 60,000. There were two companies in deficit. Their deficit was about $10,000 between the two of them. We're talking about health now, not dental. This was just health. And so the remaining $50,000 was literally paid back to the 10 other companies in surplus in proportion to their usage. So if one company started with like a $9,000 surplus, they would get a bigger share of the pie. So it was all based on proportions. And then the two companies in deficit didn't have to do it. And again, so they got together again at the <laughs> Toronto airport hotel. They like ordered a hot chicken lunch and they looked at each other. They're like, this is magic. This is amazing. Like we have to tell our friends. So they started signing up their friends and fast forward today, we have over 400 businesses. We have over 35,000 Canadians that are covered. And it was not easy. It was really difficult in the beginning, but um, that's who we are. That's our origin story. So I'm so proud that I was able to watch this literally from the inception of the company. And actually Vince Principato is still actually one of the most incredible people because he was there and he lived it. He was in the room at the time. Um, whereas I was probably not in the room at the time, but it really, really is incredible. Um, today, of course, because we want to scale and partner with brokers, we want to sell through brokers. So we can't get the message out ourselves. We need to partner with really strong, brilliant benefits advisors like you to tell people, Hey, there is a cooperative that is able to refund your money on a fully insured basis. And it's magic. And I'm like, you know, let me tell you something on our website. If you go to transparency section, we've got years of annual reports showing just like the way that first year showed an auditor's report showing here are all the companies. Of course, we don't show their names. Here's a list of the premiums they paid. Here's the claims they paid. Here are the fees and taxes they paid to their broker and their insurance company and also the reserves and any growth uh, distribution. So bonuses for really good performance. Um, there's also some tax refunding that we get back from the government and our board of directors. We've got some people on our board that was, were literally there from day one. They were in the room right at the start and it's just so phenomenal to see what happens. So, you know, I think if you're curious about it, you definitely need to reach out. You can email us. Um, my email is yaffa at beneplan.ca. You can also email admin at beneplan.ca or service at beneplan.ca. You can visit our website. Um, you can also call us at 1-800-387-1670. Uh, we're located in Toronto, Ontario. If you wanted to come and visit our office, feel free to drop by, come say hello, just message me before you come so that I can see if Vince and I are going to be around. And that's our origin story. So thank you so much for listening and watching. And uh, if you have any other topics that you'd like to hear about, please let us know. Thanks so much.